Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're happy you're with us today as we try to answer some more of your questions on Know Your Bible. Uh, if you're a first-time viewer, let me explain very briefly how we operate, and you can watch and catch on pretty quickly, I think, but all we do is answer viewers' questions. Uh, you'll notice there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Viewers can use those anytime they want to get in touch with us, let us know what they'd like us to talk about, and that's what we do on this program. A lot of religious TV programs tell you what they think you want to know, but uh, we let you decide what you're interested in. And hopefully by doing that, you'll know your Bible a little bit better. So if you got a question about a specific Bible topic or question, verse or uh, something you've heard that you wonder, is that really in the Bible? Or maybe it's just something in your life that uh, you wonder what the Bible principle on that would uh, advise you to do or what direction to go. We'd be happy to try to find those kind of principles for you. So use the phone number, website, either one, and uh, you tell us what you'd like us to talk about. And that's what we'll do on this program. Let me introduce my partner here, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're back and ready to go here and uh, studied up on a lot of these questions that we've gotten over the weeks. And we'll see how many we can get done today. We'll go as fast as we can, but we always start with one for our viewers and uh, see if they know a little bit of Bible information. Rahab, a famous character in the Old Testament, what was her occupation? We'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program, see if you know what Rahab did for a living. Uh, looks like you got number one, Toby, so number one and, get us and rolling. The first one is, uh, where can I find it? Question, viewer wants to know, where can I find Jesus asking who do you say I am? Well, this is found in actually three different places in the gospel accounts. The gospel accounts are the eyewitness accounts from different perspectives of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we find this, uh, uh, who do you say that I am, in Matthew chapter 16, Mark chapter 8, and Luke chapter 9. Let's read from Matthew chapter 16 together. Uh, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples... Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but what about, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So this is a conversation, as we can see, between Peter and Jesus. Uh, it's a very intriguing question, not just for that age, but for all ages. Who do you say I am? And the right answer is exactly what Peter gave. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's where it's found, and that's what it means. All righty, very good. Uh, viewers found a verse that uh, wonders what in the world that means. Uh, Luke 14:26. He says it talks about hating your family. 
That sounds like a strange Bible topic, just on the question itself. But let's uh, let me read that verse to you from uh, straight from the Bible and see what the viewer is talking about. Uh, the heading over this little passage, by the way, is the cost of being a disciple. So maybe that help you understand it. And Luke says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, "If anyone comes to me." And does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. All right, that's what it says, is you've got to hate your mother and father and all that. Now, obviously, that doesn't sound like something that Jesus ought to say. doesn't sound like something anybody ought to say, uh, but that's what it says. Now, if we read on in the context, it helps us a little bit because he begins to talk about counting the cost. And he gives two examples. He says, if you want to build a tower, uh, you'd sit down, you'd figure up the cost first before you started building that tower to make sure you could afford it. And then his second example is a king. A king doesn't go to war unless he sits down and figures out whether he can afford to go to war, whether he can uh, survive it, has enough army, and on and on. Uh, you don't tackle the project before you know you can handle it, is what he's saying. So. That's applying to being a Christian. You want to follow Jesus? Understand it's going to cost you something. Now, his statement there in Luke, the way it's translated, is you've got to hate your mother and father. Let's read one other version. Uh, this is from Matthew. And in this case, Matthew kind of quotes Jesus from the different perspective. Let's just read it together. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37. And Matthew says what Jesus says was, Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Well, that sounds a little better, doesn't it? That's a little more uh, understandable than hating mother and father. I hope that illustrates to you what he's saying. It's comparatively. Comparatively, if you want to follow Jesus, he's going to be the most important in your life. Uh, compared to everything else, he's got to be more important. Now, Luke says it kind of the negative way. You've got to hate or love them less than me. And Matthew says it more positively. You've got to love me more than them. So that's the cost he's talking about. Now, we know that happens. We know there are some people, if they decide to follow Christ, uh, their family will disown them. Their family will have nothing to do with them. In fact, there's some religions, in, well, one religion in the world at least, uh, where if you decide to follow Christ, they'll kill you. Uh, so you've got to really love Jesus and put him first. I'm reminded of the old joy slogan that's uh, been around forever. The key to life is joy. Uh, Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. Uh, Jesus goes first in everything in life. So that's all Jesus is saying there in Luke is compared to me, uh, everything else is in second place. you got to love me the most, make me the first priority. So that's, uh, I hope that understands the hating your family problem. <laughs> You're right. Out of context, it's kind of hard to understand. But yep. <laughs> Sounds bad. Yep. Uh, go ahead. No, no, yeah, <laughs> I got the next up. question. Here you're we go. Uh, when a, a Christian sins, isn't there more to receiving forgiveness than just to say, I'm sorry? Well, uh, yes, you're right. There is, uh, I guess it, it kind of depends on 
how you say I'm sorry and, and what, that, what results of that you see. And we know this um, in everyday life, in everyday circumstances. Um, someone says to you, uh, I'm sorry. They do something against you or they harm you or they, um, they do something rude or they do something harmful or hurtful or mean. And they say, oh, I'm sorry about that. Now, they might say that and then they just keep on doing it. Well, you know, they just were saying, I'm sorry. If they say, oh, I'm sorry, I really, I apologize, I was in the wrong, I should not have done that. Uh, and then they stop doing that thing that they did. Well, you understand that there's a change in behavior. All right. And so that the biblical idea for that is called repentance. Uh, you change your heart. You turn it in such a way that your actions change. And that's what we understand true sorrow and true repentance is all about. It's not just about saying it. It's about heart change. We know anytime the heart changes, then the actions surely follow. Uh, the Bible explains this actually very well in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Let's read this on the screen. As it is, I rejoice, not because you are grieved, but because you are grieved into repenting. For you felt godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Uh, there's two types of grief. There's two types of sorrow. There's worldly sorrow, which is, ah, oh, man, I'm, I wish I hadn't done that. Now people are mad at me. Now there's consequences. You know, they're, they're kind of just sorry for getting caught. And they'll say they're sorry if it gets them out of that situation, but they're not really going to change. But godly sorrow says, I'm sorry, and I'm going to change. And this is what Paul's relationship was with the church at Corinth. And this is how all Christians ought to be, not just saying, I'm sorry, but repenting and changing their heart. I hope that helps understand godly sorrow, worldly sorrow a little better. Good explanation. And we can see that in children sometimes. Yep. You know, they'll, they'll say, I'm sorry. Yep. You know, and you know, they're not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We can tell sometimes. So God can also tell. And, yep. We take this moment and uh, give you a good way to study the Bible in your own home. Uh, we've got some free Bible study materials that we've provided ever since we've been on the air and uh, in an effort to help people know their Bible better. And we're happy to continue that offer, and it's absolutely free of charge. Uh, there's eight lessons on the screen right now, or eight lessons in this first series of lessons, and we let you look at those each week. Uh, they, it's a very basic Bible study, uh, not tied to any doctrine or church doctrine or creed or anything like that. It's just a study of the Bible. In fact, the first two are just the very basic study of the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you don't know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, why they were written and who they apply to and all that, you're going to have a hard time understanding your Bible. So that's where this series starts is here's what the Old Testament's about and for, and here's what the New Testament is about and for, and then you're ready to study the Bible a little bit better. So good basic study uh, really introduces you to the Bible. Uh, a lot of folks, most folks, it helps them form a regular habit of Bible study because they sit down with uh, one lesson and go through it, read what the Bible the lesson says to read and answer a few questions. 
send it back to us and we'll score it for you and then send it back with another one and uh, gives you a little accountability that way. So it's a good way to form a habit of Bible study and you'll learn a lot about your Bible. So phone number, website are on the screen. Use either one of them. Get in touch with us. Just say, I want that free course. Give us your address and it'll come to you. So that's a good way to study the Bible. All right, got a kind of common question here. We get this quite often. Uh, well, this person says, gives a little personal detail, says, I was raised a Baptist. Uh, I was taught we cannot lose our salvation. Well, how can you lose your salvation? Uh, and we've talked about the doctrine of once saved, always saved, and giving you a lot of verses and talked about that many times. Uh, let me try this time give you a little different illustration and see if it'll help. Uh, suppose that both of us, uh, I and a Baptist friend, uh, we have a friend who's a Christian who follows Christ and comes to church and does everything we know that they ought to do, a uh, great person, and then they get involved with some false teaching, an atheist or a satanic cult, or they get involved in a strong temptation somehow, and they get drawn away, and they stop associating with us, and they stop coming to church, and they, they don't want to talk about Christian things anymore. They begin to do things that they shouldn't do. And pretty soon they deny that they have any faith in Christ. Uh, they say they don't believe in Jesus anymore. They're going to live the way they want to live and not pay attention to the Bible. Now, if that happened to us, uh, both of us, uh, my Baptist friend and I, uh, would understand that something really bad had happened. Now, what I would say is that person forfeited their salvation. They have lost their salvation, I think. I don't think if they continue in this behavior and this belief that they can go to heaven because they don't believe in Jesus anymore. They're not trusting Him. Uh, my Baptist friend probably would say, well, they never were a Christian. Never were a real Christian. See, that's the only answer if you believe in once saved, always saved. Now, the trouble with that answer that well, they never believed in Christ, they were never a real Christian. The trouble with that is we know better. <laughs> we, we've seen them uh, when they did believe in Jesus. The other thing wrong with that supposed answer is that the Bible tells us and warns us over and over that we can be drawn away. We can lose our salvation in that sense. Now, when we talk about losing it, let me make haste to understand, I believe we are secure in Christ. If we've done what He says, we've obeyed Him in baptism, we are in Christ, we're not going to be walking down the street one day and all of a sudden have it taken away from us. But we can do, like I described this fictional friend, we can walk away from it. We can leave Christ. We can deny Him. And the Bible warns us about that. Let's look at just one of the warnings in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. Paul told the church there. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Be careful. Don't, don't let Satan start drawing you away to something that will eventually cause you to deny Christ. The other thing the Bible does is it gives us some examples of people that this happened to. So we know it can happen. Let's read from 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. Paul there writing to Timothy, he said, Do your best to come to me quickly, because Demas, 
who was Paul's co-worker. He was in Christ. He was a Christian working in missionary business with Paul. He said, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. He's gone to Thessalonica. So there's Demas, somebody that Paul trusted as a co-worker. Uh, do you think he was never really a Christian? I don't think so. Uh, Paul was his co-worker. And Demas was drawn away by the world. The love of the world got him. And he left. He went back to the world. So we've got warnings that it can happen. We've got warnings that we should be careful. So that's what that to answer our viewers' questions, that's how you can lose your salvation. You can't lose it, but you can forfeit it. You can be drawn away. You can be tempted by Satan. You can give up your belief in Christ, and uh, then there's no salvation if you don't trust in Jesus' blood anymore. So hopefully that clears that up for our viewer, and I'm sure we'll get that question again sometime. We, we certainly <laughs> will. Yeah. Well, and uh, well, I. That doctrine or core idea of belief that you know once saved always saved or or I'm you know a person who's not a Christian it can never be a Christian, it just sets me the wrong way. You see so many <laughs> stories the opposite way as you pointed out in the Bible that you know folks who who are are in the world and come to Christ and like Demas go back to the world or the opposite you know mm -hmm. people who are in the world and come out of it and I we just don't the gospel's about hope people <laughs> need to always know they can come home at any time. All right, the next question is <clears throat> for a person asked, does one have to be baptized in order to get to heaven? Uh, well, my answer, of course, is probably if you've been watching this program long enough is, is yes. I don't want you to take my word for it just because I say so. Um, but we want to look basically at what the scripture says, what Jesus said, what the apostles taught, what was practiced in the early church, uh, all confirm that answer, that baptism is a part of the process. And now it's not an earning of salvation. It's not a works-based thing. It's an obedience thing. It's Jesus said, do this, and I'm going to do it. Um, if Jesus' uh, example is sometimes uses, you know, if Jesus said, do uh, 10 minutes worth of jumping jacks and you'll be saved, I would do it. I don't like jumping jacks, but I, I wouldn't necessarily understand it. But I would do it because Jesus said to do it. And that's what obedience, that's what calling Jesus Lord is all about. It's being willing to submit, to trust, to obey, to do the things which he's called us to do. Um, and so I think it's a beautiful picture. I love the, the symbolism that it has, but it's what he commanded very clearly. Uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 16, John chapter 3, verse 3, Acts 2, 38, and one verse we'll look on the screen, Romans chapter 6, verses 2 through 5. Hear Paul writing. He says, <clears throat> By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were therefore, <clears throat> we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have uh, been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So we understand uh, Scripture is just as plain as it can be on the subject of baptism 
and it's ne uh, uh, the necessity of it as part of, of the salvation and obedience to the Lord Jesus. So if you believe Jesus is Lord, uh, simply do what he, what he has asked to do, what he taught the apostles to teach, and all of the examples, by the way. There are several examples in the book of Acts of people becoming Christians, and every time that happens in the book of Acts, baptism is always a part of the process. So... <clears throat> Uh, that's the big why, ultimately, why we do any of anything that we do as a Christian, because Jesus called us to do it, and I think that uh, starts with baptism as the first step. All right, a good answer. It's uh, an obedience to Him. It's uh, a, a clear conscience because that's what He said to say uh, yeah. or said to do, mm -hmm. and, and all that. And I, as you were reading that verse, I was thinking about the words in there. If you could go through and highlight some of the main points. You can reduce that verse to, to saying we've been baptized into Christ in order that we can walk a new life. Yep. You know, I mean, it, that's yep. pretty clear there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, it's the, that's when he saves us. That's mm -hmm. where he saves us. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, let's see. Jesus wasn't born in the time of Moses is our question. Uh, so how were people in those days saved? Well, good question. If Jesus is the one who <laughs> saves us, if his blood is what takes away our sin, how about all those folks that lived before him? Uh, he hadn't been crucified yet. So Moses and, well, everybody back then, David and Joshua and the whole gang in the Old Testament, uh, how were they saved? How did they get to heaven if Jesus hadn't shed his blood yet? Okay, good question. Um, let's get the answer directly from the Bible. Romans chapter 4, verse 3 gives us the answer. Uh, what does the Scripture say? Well, pretty good question. And it says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So how did Abraham, who was a sinful man, how did he get credited as being righteous? How did he get uh, forgiven of all the wrong he did and get God to look at him as righteous? Well, it says he believed God. Okay, his faith was credited to him as righteousness. Now, if we read Hebrews 11, we see that phrase over and over again. It's, we call that chapter the, the hall of faith, and it lists all sorts of people in the Old Testament that our viewers asking about, how were they saved? And it says over and over again the same thing. Abraham believed God and did this. He believed God and he left the land of Ur. He believed God and he sacrificed Isaac. Uh, Moses believed God and did this. David believed God and did this. So when you believe God, you do what he says. That's going back to what Toby was talking about. It's not the water that saves us. It's obeying what God says. It's showing that you trust him. So the answer, faith is what saves us. Faith is what saves us today. Baptism itself, the water doesn't save us. It's obeying what God said to do. So the blood of Jesus, I guess you could say retroactive is a pretty good word for that. It covers all sin, all past sin, all future sin. Uh, Jesus' death was necessary to pay for sin. But before he had died, God looked at people, and if they believed him and did what he said, he counted them righteous. Now, the blood paid the bill on Calvary, uh, but that's how God justified people, by seeing if they believed in him, trusted him, and obeyed him. So retroactively, the blood covered all sin forever. All right, let me take this moment and invite you to the Church of Christ near you. 
Churches of Christ keep this program on the air and it's produced by the Churches of Christ. And we like to mention a few each week, perhaps, that uh, help us stay on the air today. Let's talk about our partners over in Missouri and Springfield, the Watermill Church of Christ. Great uh, bunch of folks. I was over there a few months ago and visited them and uh, happy to see their new building and great bunch of folks there. And I know if you're looking for a church home, you'd be warmly welcomed by the folks at the Watermill Church of Christ. And we appreciate their support of this program. Of course, whatever broadcast area you live in, if you're watching us uh, on your home TV, you probably uh, have a Church of Christ near you. Uh, we invite you to drop in and visit them sometime. If you know somebody that attends a Church of Christ, Tell them you were watching Know Your Bible and uh, heard about them and uh, appreciate them keeping the program on the air. All right, Toby, got time for another one. Yes, I think sir. Here. A viewer asks a very heartfelt question. I've lost all direction in life, they say. How do I go forth and serve God if all I do is stumble and fall? Well, let me tell you uh, briefly about a story that Jesus told about a young man who lost his way and who squandered uh, many an opportunity and many a blessing. And, and it's one of the best known stories in the Bible, I think, because it's so relatable. It's the, the uh, parable of the prodigal son, story of a, uh, a son who, who took, went to his father and said, I want my inheritance. I just treat you as if you were dead. And he went off and he took the inheritance and he squandered it in wild living. He had nothing to show for it. And he was just feeling terrible about himself. And he said, I'm just going to go back to dad's and see if I can get a, a job working as one of his servants. And he came back and the father ran toward him and embraced him and put a ring on his finger and a robe around him and, and had a huge party for him. Well, that crazy story um, tells us so much about the nature of God, but one is um, that his father never stopped loving him. And I think that's the main point. Uh, and I want to tell that to you too. Your father has never stopped loving you, uh, regardless of what you've done, regardless of how much hope you've lost and how much you've squandered his blessings. Uh, he's waiting for you to return home and you can do that. I don't know the specifics of your situation, but you three pieces of advice. One, put the past in the past. The Bible calls that repentance. Two, uh, stop trying to do it on your own. You need to find a group of God-fearing, Bible-believing folks uh, who want to help you. Uh, find a, a ministry like Celebrate Recovery or some Christian-based program that can help you with that. And number three, pray, which is simply turning back to God, talking to God, re renewing that relationship, uh, and you will do well. Let's read John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 together. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. As long as you still have breath in your lungs and a heart beating, there's always opportunity to return to your Father. Don't lose hope and don't give up. Okay? Thank you, Toby. Let's squeeze one more quick one in here. A uh, viewer wants to know, originally Christians met in homes and public places. How did the practice of church buildings come about? Well, I've got a one-word answer for that, uh, gradually, <laughs> and that's about all we know about it. I don't think there's any way of knowing when the first group of Christians uh, got big enough that they didn't fit in any member's house, and so they said, let's build a building to assemble in. I uh, don't know when that happened, and uh, history just doesn't tell us, but it happened at some time, and the practice grew, and there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, the, God didn't tell us where we have to assemble. He just said, assemble. He said, get together. Worship me. I invite you to come worship me on the Lord's Day, on the first day of the week. 
and Christians started doing that. And uh, where we meet is not the important part. The fact that we get together is the important part. So don't know when that happened for sure, but it's the main custom now. Some folks still still do meet in homes and uh, public places, but uh, generally we, we build buildings. <laughs> All right, let's make sure we get our trivia question answered today. Rahab in the Old Testament, what was her occupation? Well, it wasn't a very pleasant occupation. She was a harlot, the Bible tells us. Uh, worked in Jericho, and she helped the spies, of course, so that was why she was uh, saved from all the destruction of Jericho and was taken out by uh, Joshua and the spies, but she was a harlot. That's the way she earned her living, but she trusted in God. She feared God and uh, helped His people, so that's why she's famous and uh, mentioned in the New Testament a couple of times. We're glad you've been with us today. Hope that you'll be back with us next week as we try to answer some more of your questions on Know Your Bible. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.